uh, Pastor Danny and, and Ken, you know, trusting me enough to get up here and to bring the word to you guys. Uh, we've done this before. It's always my privilege to to bring this to you. I've had so much fun studying for this one tonight that, you know, that I'm about to give. Um, been a couple weeks in the making, really the last week. I've been doing my notes and trying to put it all together and stuff like that. But I've been thinking about it for the last couple months, actually, just in my mind. What would I talk about? How would I go about it? And just kind of letting it happen and putting notes on my iPhone and things like that. And next thing you know, you get it put together, and, and then here it is. So I'm excited to bring this tonight. Tonight's topic is going to be enduring peace or conditional ceasefire. Uh, I hope the, the title lays it out there for you. It's going to be something like that. I hope that we have time to get to the challenge towards the end. It really depends on how many questions we have tonight, how many things, you know, how many times you guys want to jump in. I have a hundred questions that, I, that I'm going to ask. You know, I have a little bit of a motor mouth, if you can't tell, not quite as bad as Pastor Danny's. But other than that, uh, jump in there. If I ask a question... And then I go to answer my question, stop me, raise a hand, do something like that. I would really rather hear what you have to say tonight. So uh, with that said, before we get started, let's pray and we will get after it. Father, tonight we thank you for your love and your favor. We thank you for your peace that you give to us, that you provide to us without measure. We, we look to you for that tonight and we look for you to, to break open your word and speak to us words that will encourage us, words that will challenge us. And have us to see what your word would have us to know about the love that you've loved us with and the peace that you've freely given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, the big thought for tonight, if you look on your notes, is peace is expressed in the Old Testament. It's exemplified in the life of Christ and Jesus himself. But then it's entrusted to every believer as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the actual, is the life of Jesus. My opening question, now this is what I want you guys to do. I don't want you to think, turn your minds off, okay? That's scary. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Everybody's mind is off. You ready? Ready? You're going to say it, right? What is peace? Go to the mountains. Go to the mountains? <laughs> Silence. Silence. Beach. We know where the, we got, we got a second on beach. Anybody else? Tea. Tea. Peace tea. Peace. Hey, you know, you're saying this to a guy that, you know, you know, you could have said piece of cake and I would have been good with that. You know, we said peace. So what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Tea. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. There you go, guys. I didn't get a PowerPoint for tonight, guys. So we are doing what now? Uh, hey, I said turn your minds off. So I mean, you 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 have a you have a way out on this one. Unconditional. You want out? Peace out. Peace out. <laughs> I, you know, I, I said turn your minds off. We'll take it. Um, absence of conflict. I put piece of cake. Uh, utopian existence. Uh, a state of relief once our children turn 18 years of age. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but turning our minds back on, what would you say that peace is? Somebody, seriously this time, what would you say that peace is? Jesus? Jesus? Aaron? Peace with, God. peace with God. Outstanding. I'm loving it. Calmness. Anybody? Hmm? Calmness. Calmness. Outstanding. Yeah. A few different definitions. 
American Heritage Dictionary, freedom from quarrel or disagreement, harmonious relations, inner contentment, serenity. It's used, peace is used as a greeting and as a farewell. You need to remember that. And it's also used as a request for silence. Now, I like the way Noah Webster's Dictionary of 1828 takes this. He adds that this word is used in commanding silence or quiet. He had more kids than we do. Uh, as peace to this troubled soul. So it's, you're commanding peace to something, to quieten it down, to, to, to bring peace to their soul. Uh, the Oxford Languages uh, puts it this way. It's freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility. Um, how many of you guys have ever wanted that me time where you just wanted your kids to leave you alone for a minute just so you could go do something for yourself. You, you just, and it's not that you had anything against your kids and you love your kids, but you just need that moment to where I got to get alone and be by myself and I've got to wrap my mind around something. I just need a moment of peace. Uh, for me, maybe in its smallest sense, and we're warming up to this thing we're fixing to get started, I'm just talking and rambling. This is the things you do to calm down. For me, the peace in its smallest sense might be riding around in my car with the top down in historic downtown Prattville and just loving every minute of it, you know, looking at the, the blue skies and the, and the clouds and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and the growl of a, of a you know, 6.2 V8. But for you women, it may be, you know, a night in a, in a clawfoot tub with suds and bubbles going over the side and no one's around. You got a cup of coffee. I, I guess that's what y'all do. I have no idea. But I can see this where you just need that moment where you can get alone, turn it all off, and just be by yourself. Uh, another another uh, definition would be a state or period in which there is no war. Uh, do you know that some of the kings of Judah were promised peace for their country and said that they could have that peace until they died? So the peace was conditional on a person who was living a righteous life. Wikipedia's definition, you'll kind of like this one. Peace means societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. In a social sense, peace is commonly used to mean a lack of conflict and freedom from fear and violence between individuals and groups. I put that definition this way. Why can't we all just get along, guys? Let's, let's just have peace. Peace means I get what I want, and if it makes me feel good, that's, we'll just call it peace. However, this and none of this is really what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be considering peace from another standpoint. It's not peace in the absence of conflict. And it's certainly not peace in the presence of conflict. But peace can exist in either or or both at the same time because it, it's, not, it's not dependent upon the state that we're experiencing at the time, good or bad. Peace is enjoyed as an inward state of the soul that has been changed by the presence of a person, and that person is Jesus. That is a big thought. We're going to talk about that a little later. We have peace, the possibility of a true, abiding, enduring peace because we have Jesus inside of us, actually the spirit of Jesus inside of us. In the life of the believer, it's not contingent upon outward circumstances. We can have peace in the face of the lions. We can have peace in the face of whatever is facing us down, good or bad. Peace is not contingent upon what is out there. It's contingent upon who is in here. But then we have to act on that in faith. Amen? Somebody said, there we go. Amen. It's so completely tangible, this peace 
Have you ever seen somebody that's walking in true peace? You see it. You see it in their face. It's almost like you can reach out and just touch it. I mean, you, it's, it's so tangible that it's, it's just there. It's why the early believers could, could face the lions with a song in their mouth and the love of Jesus in their heart and have peace because of who was in their heart, not what they were, what they were facing. Men will die for conviction, but never for concoction. They will die and they will stand for what they believe. What's an example? Acts chapter 7. Stephen preaches a mighty sermon knowing that he could die for it and he winds up doing just that. He sees the glory of God and Jesus standing in his right hand in heaven. They stone him for blasphemy while he prays for their forgiveness. He's looking at Jesus in heaven. It's parted and he can see him standing at the right hand of God. And he has the perfect peace to stay there and take the stones and be so focused on Jesus that he's praying for them. That is absolutely amazing that we can face what we face as we learn to walk in that peace. And we learn to do that by learning to walk in faith. We're told to look to Jesus in Scripture and that if we do, life will be different for us. So here's the question. Are we brave enough to live for Jesus? It is so easy to say, oh, I die for Jesus. Stephen died for Jesus. I suppose that if I was getting stoned, if the, if the heavens parted and I saw Jesus standing there, yeah, oh, yeah, I'd just be glad to take the rocks. You know, let's, let's take the bullet. Let's, let's do whatever it takes. Yeah, I will die for Jesus. But guys, that is the easy thing to do. The difficult thing to do is to live for Jesus. How many of you guys will look at the face of all that and say, no, I choose to walk in peace. Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me right now. Jesus did that. He was, he's our example to us. If he say we abide in him, we've got to walk like him, right? Stephen's doing the same thing. He's praying that he would forgive them. Are we brave enough to live for him? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, that word means to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other object. So when we look to Jesus, it's not just that we're looking to him. We're purposefully putting it all to the side and looking to him where he is. With that conviction comes a knowing of a person, and that person changes their lives to become what they couldn't be otherwise. There are some things in life that are bigger than we are. And if we have lived five minutes on this earth, we know there are things that are bigger than we are. But we have the hope and we can trust in the Lord who is inside of us to give us peace when we face these things. It doesn't happen overnight because the walk of faith is a journey and we're changed here a little, there a little, from glory to glory. When we're 10, we're not the same as we are when we're 70. It is a journey, but he will walk with us and in increase our faith, and he will increase our peace. It's an inner sense that derives its essence from Jesus, this peace. And it grows until it buds, and the fruit of it is on display for the world to see and for the world to taste. This peace that we have, we have because of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, Galatians 5.22. We're going to get to that a little later also. Because of that, it's a fruit. It's something that people can see. It's tangible. It's touchable. It's seeable. And it's also doable. We can walk this life of peace that he would have us to walk. So for me, I always go back to what did Jesus say? And we're, we're going to talk about that tonight, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to start in the beginning at the first use of the word peace. And that word is, does anybody have an idea what the first word for peace is? Not Danny. I know you know what it is. 
anybody but Pastor Danny. Has somebody ever heard? Well, shalom. Shalom. But the, the first part of that word, the root word of shalom is shalom. S-H-A-L-A-M. Did I, I put that in your notes, didn't I? Shalom. Uh, shalom is the root word for shalom. It's in Exodus chapter 21 and 22. It's used 14 different times. I've found every single one of them the hard way, uh, looking in an interlinear. So they are in there. Uh, <laughs> Hebrew word seven, 79.99. Um, and what the point it's trying to get across is, is an owner is considered lacking or not complete. The one that's responsible for depriving someone of something is to make it right. The perpetrator has no privilege or right in this thing except to be responsible to pay back what he has taken from the other person. So shalom or shalom means to make something whole, to use the King James words. It's make it good, shall surely pay, make full restitution or restore. So in a physical sense, he's supposed to give back what he took from that person. That is peace. That is the root word of the word shalom. Doug Hershey with the, the true meaning of shalom from firmisrael.org. I put that website on the paper. Not just regarding practical restoration of the things that were stolen. It's so much more than the things that were taking. It has to do with the owner's state of mind and his estate and the things that have been taken from him. That person has a responsibility to give those things back. I see this as God intends for things to be a certain way in our lives. These chapters, Exodus chapter 21 and 22, may only be a shadow of the peace that we will one day experience in heaven. And there will be peace in the new Jerusalem. Somebody, don't answer now, but somebody tell me why we have to have peace there when it's just us and God. But he's saying there will be a peace even then that comes because we trust in him. But for now, he expects things where we are, even with the fallen state of man, things to be in a certain way. And this leads us into our word that everybody's familiar with. And that word is shalom. That word is peace. With the idea of wholeness, safety, completeness, and tranquility. The place it's first used is in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 15. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. This is the father talking to... Um, Abraham, he has just rescued Lot. Uh, he was taken captive. The king of Sodom offers this reward to, uh, to Abraham, and Abraham says, no, I don't even want a shoelace from you. I mean, I don't want anybody saying you made me rich because my father has provided for me in, in all of these things. And he goes on to tell, God does, that Abraham will be blessed in the land that he would sojourn in because of his faith. He would die in peace and be buried in a good old age. Peace. He will be buried in peace, in shalom. He will be in a place in his life to where everything is as God wanted, wanted it to be. Now, does that mean that he would never experience conflict? Well, no. Does that mean we will never experience conflict? Well, certainly we do. I mean, Abraham experienced all of these things, but in the end he said, you will be buried in peace. Things will be as they should be, and you will die uh, an old age. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 43, verses 27 and 28. On the second trip to Egypt, it says, and he, Joseph, asked them, his brothers, of their welfare and said, is your father Jacob well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he yet alive? And they answered, thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. 
alive. Now, remember I told you that shalom is a greeting, but it's also a farewell. So in a greeting, it's may you be full of blessing. Even today, it means the same thing. People walk up to others and say, shalom, may you be full of well-being. And then when they depart, they give farewell. They say the same thing, but it means may health and prosperity be upon you. To the brothers, Joseph inquired of them, what is the state of your peace? What is the state of your peace in? Of his father, Joseph asked, what state is the peace of your father in? And of their father, the sons replied, he is in good peace. Question. Bible scholars, y'all can answer this. What were the conditions in Canaan when Abraham sent his sons to Egypt? Does anybody recall what was going on? There was a famine, naturally, caused by a lack of rain. There was a drought. They couldn't grow food. This was the famine that was, was told to, to Joseph, and, and he provided for seven, you know, seven years. He got all this food up and saved everything. Good answer. Somebody tell me how he is in good peace when he has no food and he's in a drought. Do, are we seeing that peace is more than what we're seeing outwardly? Peace is something that's on the inside, but it's also a state of affairs that's around us. Even when things are seemingly going wrong, and let's just say they are going wrong, we can walk in the faith of Christ and fruit, the fruit will be peace. Now, let's say that we're walking in all the faith that we have and we still don't have peace in our hearts. Well, folks, that's the journey. We learn to walk in the faith that he's given us. And as we trust him, you didn't get where you are overnight. And most of the time, you don't get straight overnight. But if we will trust him, he will take us to that place to where we will be in that shalom, that, that peace, that place where he wants us to be. And there's an inner serenity, a, a, a tranquility. There's a, a knowing that because like with that word shalom, he's got everything physically in place that he wants. But now he's working on the shalom. It's the the, the spiritual side of that to where he changes us here a little there a little question can you sit and imagine the peace they could uh, enjoy now seeing that Joseph was in fact alive and being used by God to provide for all the nations so here we see really I, I, I didn't read this I saw this in this scripture that Joseph first provides for the shalom for his, his, his brothers and his father. They needed food. There was something that was not right. So he dealt with that level of peace. Now he's dealing with the other level of peace and he's reeling them in and he's bringing his brothers in and then he reveals himself to them. Then their father comes in. He gets to see Benjamin and now they're one great big happy family again walking in the blessing. They're living in the land of Goshen, the best place they could possibly be in the whole earth. That is the peace that we're talking about and it's because of God and it's really his direction and, and his will. Uh, that is his peace. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. This is the, the nothing missing, nothing broken uh, scripture that so many people like to go to in the New Jerusalem. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. His mind is stayed on him and he has faith. How many times has our mind not stayed on him? And we do all of the things that we know to do. 
the things that have me stressed out. So, you know, I, I, forgive me for being so inextricably male. If I see something that's not right, I'm just going to go deal with it because I can deal with it better than I think somebody else can deal with it. I hadn't even prayed a prayer yet. I'll, I'll just fix the thing and be done with it. I'm a maintenance guy. It's, it's, it's what I do. Uh, and, and I'm a, you know, a guy that drives a Corvette. I mean, there's a certain mentality that goes with all of that. Uh, the issue is, is where do you, when does the trust start? The, the faith. Our, when do we turn our mind on to the spiritual things and look to him and then have faith? And if we don't have the peace and we haven't put our minds on him and we haven't trusted him, should we expect a different outcome than we're getting? I look in the mirror and say, oh, my, Bill, you know better than that. Maybe, maybe you guys have thought that way, but this, this is how I, I, I talk to myself. Um, in this place, in the New Jerusalem, all is peace and sure defense, it says, on God's side. So God is doing everything that he's going to do. And all is trust and perfect confidence on the side of man. This is the perfect spot to be walking in peace. But the same thing applies now as we're moving towards that, 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 that forward point, you know, moving forward. It's we're trusting in him, we're thinking on him. And we're waiting for the answer. And we still trust him when we don't see it. We trust him and we rejoice when we do see it. Even when we, we, something gets better in its smallest measurement, we thank God for it and we keep trusting him. That's what we do. David said in Psalms chapter 34 and verse 14, Seek peace and pursue it. Maybe the life of the psalmist was encouraged by what he saw in Joseph's actions. Seek that peace. Set your brothers up. Reel them in. Bring them in. Provide for their needs the shalom, and then provide for their spiritual needs, the shalom, the, that, that, that spiritual side to all of that. Psalms 119, verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble because they love thy law, and because they love thy law, they won't stumble, and they will have great peace, if you read that, word, that verse backwards. How many of you guys want great peace? I, I, I've got a spot in my life where I want great peace. I, I, I have to think that we have this, this human bond, this connection between all of us where we all want peace. And there's always a point in our life where we have peace here, but we don't have peace maybe there. Again, that's that journey that we're on. So let's transition. The root word of shalom is shalom, which means to make something physically whole, to make it good, to restore it, to pay it, to, to make restitution. Shalom with an O-M carries with it the idea of physical and spiritual wholeness, safety, completeness, tranquility. It's, it's a peace that's on the inside as opposed to a shalom where there's a peace, there's, a, there's an integrity on the outside. Now, I can see in the Old Testament scriptures where God wanted his saints to walk in peace and to be in peace. As believers in Messiah, are we promised peace in our life? Not a trick question. Somebody say it. We're promised peace. We can have peace. If we see that God wants us to have peace, will we pray the dangerous prayer and ask God for it? Will we trust him for that? My goal tonight is to show you that God wants us to have peace. He shows us in the Old Testament. He's fixing to show us in the life of Christ. And he's fixing to show us by the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us. And we're going to have a challenge and we're going to go home. we still got a little ways to go. It will be 7 o'clock, no doubt. But it won't be after 7 o'clock. See so y'all hanging there with me. Um, 
But if he promises us peace, what does that entail? Is it the peace the same in the New Testament as it is in the Old Testament? And I don't like to use that word testament, but I'm going to use it anyway because it, it shows that we almost have like a line of demarcation. It doesn't exist, but we see it old and new. If it was this way here, is it that way there? And he promises us the same peace. But what does that peace look like? How does he make that so? Um, I think we all know where this is going. We're fixing to see what Jesus has to say about this. This is good, guys. Are y'all ready for this? This is fixing to get good. Somebody say, I know this is going to be good. I, I got a yeah and a hmm, hmm, hmm. Come on, somebody in faith, somebody in faith say, this is going to be good. Uh, all right, let's do this. Um, in John chapter 16, uh, while you're turning there, we might be here just for a minute. Um, if you hadn't figured it out, you can follow the paper and you can see about where I am. So you, you track along with me, you'll figure out when I'm going to end. Uh, it's going to be 7 o'clock, but it won't make you feel any better. But if you want to follow along, you go right ahead. Um, Jesus had much to say to his disciples in this, this chapter, in chapter uh, 16. In verse 1, he's, he's warning them. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. I'm fixing to unload a wheelbarrow load full of stuff on you right here in this chapter. So, guys, y'all need to remember this chapter. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Okay. There's a lot in here. There's a lot that's fixing to happen to you. He's promised the Holy Spirit to them. He has told them that I'm going to die and then I'm going to be resurrected. He's all this stuff in John chapter 16. And in verse 33 of John 16, it says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Now, we're in the New Testament, maybe not officially. It depends on if you want to say the, the early church started in Acts 29, which I know there's no 29 chapters there, or if you want to say it starts earlier in Acts. But Jesus is saying that they could have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What are these things? The first two words, what are these things I have spoken unto you? In verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes. Yes, I, I now come that ye be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These verses in a specific sense, the, the, the entire passage about his death and his resurrection in a general sense, uh, both bring peace for different reasons. There's a lot going on here. These things. You can have peace in this or you can have peace in that. Both bring peace. But what does Jesus mean by in me? For me, this word in me in the middle of the verse seems to be the operative words. Jesus tells his disciples that though they, they desert him and they will desert him. And he's telling them this is what you're going to do. He is telling them that I will not be alone because the father is still in me. Why does he tell them that he will not be alone? Because though outwardly while he is alone, he is with the Father and is at peace in himself and he's in his Father's plan. The question is, is how does this bring peace to the disciples' hearts when Jesus is saying, you're fixing to leave and I'm going to be by myself and I won't be alone even if you're not here because I have the Father. The question is, why will they have peace now that their Messiah, their, their rabbi is saying, I'm out of here, I'm fixing to go. This is part of the plan. This would bring peace to his disciples because Jesus is at peace 
and they can be too, and here is why. I will be at peace in the most difficult time of my life because God the Father, my Father, is inside of me. You are fixing to go into the most difficult time of your life, and you can have peace for this one reason alone because I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will always be with you, and you can have peace even though I'm not here because peace is not contingent upon what we see, and it's not even contingent upon me standing here so you can look at me. Peace is something that we operate in by faith. And as we trust in him, we can have faith, though the world is falling apart. There's a peace on the outside, remember? And that peace may not be there at the moment. That may be something that's getting worked out like Joseph did with giving his, his family food. That may take a while to get it back to Abraham. But he's certainly providing all the time the peace that we need on the inside to deal with those difficult circumstances. So, going on with this verse... Who might have peace? John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow, what a, what a, oh, the, the marriage talk in that passage right there is so incredible. That'd be so fun to talk about sometime. We see that, that Jesus cares for his disciples, and the thing he wants to give them is his peace. You know, when people get older, there's always the what is important, and then they want to impart that thing to you because they know that they're about to leave and to go, and you're never going to see them again. Jesus has told them, you're fixing to be scattered. You're fixing to leave me all by myself. I will still have peace, but this is what I'm going to leave with you. By example, I will be alone, but I'll never be alone because the Father is with me, and because he's with me, I will have peace. You can have peace too, although you don't see me here with you. We can have peace tonight. And I don't know how many of you guys have ever seen Jesus in the flesh or a vision or something like that. Uh, I, maybe someone has. I, I don't know. I would never say you can or can. But we walk by faith and not by sight. There are people who saw Jesus that still turned and went the other way. There's still hardened hearts now that I believe that God makes his plan known to everybody at some point in their life, and they reject him. If he was sitting here with you and you got over that initial rush... What do you do with it then? Faith that is seen is not seen. Faith is trusting in the one that we haven't seen. And we know that he is real. And when we trust in him, that's when we have that, that peace that we long for in our lives. A peace that, that helps us to lay down and sleep the slumber of the righteous. We can ask for those things. That's part of the peace that God wants us to have. And I believe in time as we trust him, he gives those things to us. But I can tell you this, if I never have it, I'll still trust him. If you never have what you want so much, will you still trust him? Because he says, you've got to trust him if you want it. I know when we get to that new Jerusalem the, where we were talking about earlier, it says that we will still have to trust him and we will have that peace and it will be ours for the having. So what does Jesus mean by tribulation? Now, this is good. I like this word. I, I normally don't bring up a Greek word, but I, I've got to say this one because this is one of my pet words. That word for tribulation is the word thlipsis. If you ever see a word like, like that, no, it's thlips, thlipsis. Uh, cool word. It means distress. It means pressure. That's the one. How many of you guys have ever felt pressure in your life? Uh, we have one honest person here. Uh, compression, uh, affliction, uh, distress of mind. 
Where is the verse that uses this word? I, this is the grandest of verses for me. Galat- uh, James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Uh, the New American Standard says distress. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now remember what we were talking about. Peace is shalom on the outside and it's shalom on the inside. So do you, do you see where I'm going with this? He's saying this is what pure religion is. When you see those who are in need, when you see those who are widows or, or orphans or, or a mother that has kids and doesn't have a husband, I mean, and, and she's just, it's just tough to live life with little door slammers like that and you're just one parent by yourself. He's saying if you will minister to that need, that pressure, that she has on her. Those orphans that don't have kids, even those, I'm going to just throw it out there, Matthew 25, those that are in prison, those that don't have clothes, those that don't have food. If you minister to those needs and you, you fix the issue with the peace on the outside, he will give us the peace on the inside. That's what I'm, I'm seeing in this verse right here. So Jesus is saying that when you feel this thlipsis, that's the, the same word, when you feel this right here, that's that, that tribulation that, that he's saying. He's saying, we see, I'm saying, we see a veiled reference to peace in this verse. That's because some things are out of place and not right in their life. My question to you is, there's something in, that's in your life right now that's seemingly out of place and it's not quite right. What does it do for you? Um, I hate to seem so grandstanding and self-serving, but I was able to say something to somebody one time in church here after a service. And I came up, and it was a serious moment for me. I just, this is what the Bible says right here on this one verse. Bang, walked off and let it go. Think nothing of it, prayed about it, done. Next service, they come back saying, that, I mean, just glowing like they were honeymooners, you know. I mean, it's, it's just a angel singing, you know, and they're glowing and they're walking and they're floating. And you just can't believe what that did. You said this thing for me and it just changed my life. Who got the biggest blessing out of that? Do you know that the, the reward of the prophet is that he sees his words come true? So when God moves on you to give you a word and you go and you give that word to them, you stepped into something more than just saying a verse because you know it. It's because the Spirit has moved on you to say it. And when you say it, you see them get blessed. But the blessing is for the person that said it also because you're establishing peace in their life. Man, have you guys ever been in a way in your life when something was really tough and somebody walks up and says, the only thing they could have said to make it right. Apples of gold and settings of silver, it says in Scripture. It, it's that word, the only thing that could have been said, whether it was a Bible verse or just, you know, crying with them and laughing with them and hugging them when, when nothing else works and words just won't do. When you're there for that person, is there a better feeling in the world to know that you have helped to, whether you put these words to it or not, to establish peace in that situation? Gosh, I can think of nothing better on, on, on either end. You know, I, I've had some moments where things were tough. And somebody would come up, and normally when the guys, they tend to punch a little harder. But it's always better in the end when they do. And peace will come from that because you see that you, you certainly need to change something. Or maybe you were going down the wrong road. Something must give. 
Something has got to change. We are to be ministers of his peace. So I'm told that if you ask a question, people in the crowd have to answer it. Even if they don't answer it out loud and don't answer it in their mind at the time, they're going to answer it sooner or later in their life. So if you ask a question, they have to answer it. The question is, will you be a minister of his peace? Will you go out and speak to that person that's hurting? Will you recognize something is not right in somebody's life and help them when they, they need something, when they need food? I mean, the, the easy things like that, or they need money, or they need a word, or they're going through something difficult, and you know about it. How many of us will be those, be the ambassadors of peace to people who need it? I want to be that person. Do you want to be that person tonight? I, I know you guys do. I know that you do. Why should we be ministers of peace? Because Jesus did the same thing for his disciples. He ministered to the peace issue that they were having. It was not right on the outside or the inside. So he spoke to all of that. Why was it like that? I want you to think about what was going on in the life of the disciples at this point. This sounds like our country today. Are you ready for this? Their nation was in bondage and oppression. Sepphoris, which to me is more than likely the, the city that was on a hill that Jesus was talking about, a light that can easily be hidden. Sepphoris had 2,000 men killed at one time by the Romans. Everybody knew about it. Think of all the bad things that were happening back then. The ruling body, the Sanhedrin, was divided much like ours in, in our Congress and our Senate with extremists at both ends of the spectrum. One faction, well, one faction, one half of the Sanhedrin didn't even believe in heaven or the afterlife. I mean, so here we are, the nation, the, the nation of Israel, they don't even believe in God and in, in, in heaven and in the afterlife. Whatever you had, you had in life, and that was it. The priest had ridiculous amnesia in saying that they were not even bondage to any man and never had been. That's in John chapter 8. So we see that the spiritual folks were upside down. Half of them in the Sanhedrin didn't even believe in going to heaven. The other half that was supposed to be the religious right. And you have all this turmoil and all these things that are just not right. And the Romans are taxing the life out of the people. Everybody's waiting on the Messiah. When they think he comes, he showed himself to be it. And then he tells them and Pilate that, yes, I'm a king, but not of a king kingdom that's of this world. Where do they go with that? What do, what do they do with that? And Jesus knows these things. So when we have all of this stuff going on in our life, the things that keep us up at night, the things that make us sit and murmur and meditate to ourselves when we're riding to work or coming home, or other places when our mind, we can't turn our mind, and we keep rehearsing it in our mind, all of these things. God knows you're doing that. God has spoken to me and you the things that we need to know to get it right. He has dealt with the peace issue on the outside and on the inside. He says, trust me. Will you trust him tonight? This, these are the questions that we've got to ask ourselves. Is peace important in our life? Apparently, it's, it's so important that Jesus saw the need in his disciples and ministered to it before they even knew to ask for it. He knew the biggest thing they had to deal with was the peace. Jesus says to them, take courage and walk in his peace. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. peace. 
He is the Prince of Peace. Forgive me for my maleness here, but make the choice, man up, and change a life for his glory. The life you change just might, might be yours. When you see someone that needs it, Jesus did and he spoke to it. If we see that in someone's life, as the Spirit moves on you to do so, and don't go to meddling, but if he moves on you, say it and speak to it. And then go home, go in your restroom, shut the door, and look in the mirror and speak it to yourself because that's what we need to do. Line it up with the Word of God and man up, woman up, and do what he says. He says, take courage because if you will take courage, I will give you the thing that you want the most. And the thing that you want the most is peace. If we have peace, we can deal with all of the stuff. But the peace is what we need. We, we need the peace. What did Jesus mean by overcome the world? Although the world would take his life as he laid it down, he had peace in this, the most radical of situations. The world could apply loads of flipsis. They could apply loads of pressure to, to him and all of them. They could persecute them for that matter. But you know that most of the disciples laid down their lives for him, and the only one that did it, they tried to kill him and couldn't do it because God wouldn't let them kill him. So they tried to kill all of them, and they experienced the same peace. Men will die for conviction, for not, but not for concoction. They knew what they believed. They knew who they had believed in and were fully persuaded of it. And by that, they had the peace on the inside. Can you imagine how they, they slept at night? I'm just going to say it like I talk. I want me some of that. I want me some of that. Why would they lay down their lives? John said this later in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He walked that one out, folks. And that was a long time after this with Jesus in the 30s. This was much later in life. He wrote that down. And that was 50-something years he lived. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Because he dwelt in them, they could have a peace that transcended any pressure. There was nothing greater than God. So the things that we experience, he's bigger he can take care of it. Now, the thing that was said to me the loudest, but words were not used. As Jesus juxtaposes two kingdoms, it's what he does not say that is heard the loudest. It's the thing that he didn't say, but you, he's screaming it while he's, 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 he's in this passage right here. And those are, words are, will you trust me? Remember what I said in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. His peace is available. It is a thing. It is, it is a something. It is it's something that we can possess. The big question is the one that we face regularly. Will we trust him more than we trust ourselves? You guys are listening really well tonight. I appreciate that. Will we trust him more than we trust ourselves? If we are going to go through the hard times, will we trust him while we're waiting? Will we hold to his word and trust him for the peace that we know that we need? That is important, and you have every right to ask for it. 
So we have to get to the point where we ask for it. His peace is available. This much is undeniable. The big question is one that we face regularly. Will we trust him? You may have heard it said, the world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. But we have to choose to walk in it. Will we walk in his peace? So as we transition, we have a decision to make. Jesus and his peace, it says in verse 33 of John chapter 16, we choose Jesus and his peace or we choose the world and pressure. I mean, it's kind of a, which one do we want to pick here? I mean, do we really want his peace or are we just going to settle for the best that we can do, whatever that is? And as long as I stay busy enough, I won't have to worry about that, that feeling that's nagging me on the inside. I can let it go. So we're going to choose between Jesus and his peace or the world and his pressure. I like how Doug Hershey says it here. It means more than the absence of conflict this peace does, but it actually communicates the presence of someone. It's not this feeling where we, we just feel good, so all is well. Baby, let's go eat and come home and go to sleep, and all's good. That's not what it is. It's just not. Peace is the presence of someone inside of us that, that, that quells the fear, that makes it better for us on the inside so we can walk in the strength that he's provided us with. But we must have faith. So here's my question. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, how do we experience his presence on earth, let alone his peace? Well, I'm glad you asked. Make a comment. Go ahead. In reality, like, uh, personally, I mean, I found it may sound counterintuitive, but peace is a struggle. Because it isn't something that is just simply there and you get there. Even right. when you get there, you're constantly fighting to achieve that state also. Yeah. And I find myself through that probably a little more too often lately. Yeah. Kind of to determine like, how much yeah. you do on your own accord to get there or how much you depend on God to do things for you mm-hmm. and to get to that step and to constantly fight to get to that state. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many things we're faced with that are because of us. But let's just say it's not. I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. There's some things that are easy. Some things we're, we're still walking through it. For me, it's the journey. The disciples weren't there overnight. Jesus, uh, or Peter, after all of this, he, uh, he denies Christ. Next thing you know, he's preaching and thousands are one for the Lord. And then you blink an eye and the Son of a Gun is the, the biggest... Did I say? Did I just say that on TV? The Son of a Gun. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. This guy, Saint Peter, is out playing the hypocrite. And let's just use the King James word. He was dissimulating. So uh, let's just go there. It's a journey. It, it, it is a journey. Um, I no, by no means have this figured out. I'm walking in faith like you are, and I'm having to trust Him. Sometimes I win one. Sometimes. I, I don't win one well, uh, but I trust him. I mean, where else are we going to go, guys? Do you want what he's got or do you want what the world has? That's, the, that's really what Jesus is, is throwing it out there. What do you want? Uh, you can have what you want. And you're going to get what you want. So um, go with that and trust him while we're waiting. Peace as a fruit, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. While you're turning there, 
John chapter 14 and verse 16, this is so interesting to me. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That word another is, is the Greek word alos. That is another one that I just know. I, I probably know three words. That's two of them. Uh, alos, which means one of the very same kind, the same character, the same everything. It's a duplicate. So when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter, he's saying, I've already been your comforter, but now I'm about to go to heaven. I'm about to send you the comforter, the paraclete, who is going to be another comforter who is just like me. And because you can have peace in me, you can have peace when Holy Spirit comes to you on the day of Pentecost. Wow, he would stand with them forever. You know that if Jesus is going to start it in your life, he's going to finish it. And he's going to be there till the end. And that's what he's done with them. His presence being the, the, the life of the vine that's on the inside of us. And then the fruit that we bear is because of his life. Remember where I said peace is a person. So Jesus is on the, the inside, so to speak. Actually, the, the comforter is, the very spirit of Jesus. And now we can have peace. That peace in Galatians 5 is a fruit and it's only the manifestation of what's inside of us, something we could not drum up. It's only because his spirit is inside of us. How many of you guys have ever seen fruit grow on a tree? It starts small. And then it gets bigger, 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 bigger. Uh, a watermelon starts out pretty small on the vine. But then they get big. Okay. What is the fruit of the comforter or the spirit? Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, the first part of 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The word for, for uh, peace that we're using in the New Testament is Irene. It's shalom in the Old Testament. It kind of carries a cross. But when you see it, it's, it's one and the same thing. And I'm just going to say this quickly. It expresses the idea of wholeness, completeness, or tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. In other words, you can have peace no matter what goes on on the outside. And it suggests the rule of order in the place of chaos. Now, when I'm at work and I'm dealing with people that are as thick as two bricks glued together, what am I? I going to do? Now, this is how I talk to me because this can be a struggle. I mean, maybe I'm the only one and I very well may be. But when you have peace, you react differently to what they're doing. So what is the ruling force in your life? I can get in there with the best of them, guys. I, I don't have to cuss, and I don't. I don't have to get in there and act like I'm crazy. I just don't have to do it, but I can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody at work and say what needs to be said. We're not talking about maleness or somebody's personhood here where we can stand up like that. We're not doing that. It's not about the outside in that point. It's what's on the inside of us and how are we dealing with the chaos that we're seeing because the peace that comes from Holy Spirit is a fruit. It's something that's tangible. That's something that can be seen. It's something that can be tasted. And if they don't see it in our lives, it's because it's not there in that circumstance. So what do we do about that? That's the question. Will we trust him to walk in peace when you know Everybody in your shop wouldn't care if you lit yourself on fire. What, what, what do you do if one of your children comes up and just doesn't want anything to do with you? 
How are you going to handle yourself in, in those kind of situations? God said, my peace is yours, and I will never leave you or forsake you. And if you're saved, my spirit is inside of you. Do you want to walk in peace? If you see things that are not in order, do you want to get them, them straight? Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. You can't make the fruit grow, but he can make it grow in you if we will make ourselves uh, available to him. I see this as God is restoring peace in our lives. If you're looking for utopia, that's, that's not real. If you're looking for heaven on earth, you're not going to see it because heaven's not on earth. Heaven is, is out there, okay? It's, it's up wherever up is. It's not here. But in our little world where we are, we can have peace in spite of it all. We, on the outside, we can have peace on the inside. Are you guys getting that? I've said that a thousand times. I guess we learn by repetition, right? Um, 1 Peter 3.11, I like this verse. Let him... King James English here, guys, help me. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. If you've turned me off tonight, turn me back on. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Peter. Now, we're talking about tempestuous Peter, but the same guy that got out on the water. He says, intentionally turn away from evil and do good. Do the things that are good, profitable, beneficial, beneficial. <laughs> that, that, was, that was Greek. And virtuous. Let him seek peace with a fierce determination and hunt, chase, pursue, and stalk peace. Hunt it down and stalk it like nothing else will work. Dial it in like this. Look through the scope. Don't look at anything else and make it a point not to look at it, but stalk it, hunt it, find it, get it. That's what he's saying. You guys getting that? That King James is pretty good stuff, isn't it? That's pretty good stuff. Um, As we walk the road in this journey of faith, we learn how to walk in peace. True peace is a part of his plan for us. It originates in Christ, but it is a fruit of his Holy Spirit. His disciples could walk in peace, but they were a shiny, bright example of just how not to do it at times in their lives. Guys, we are those people too. But he's still here. He's still there waiting. In faith, if we trust him, the peace will come. Maybe it grows slow at times. Maybe we have a breakthrough and it gets bigger at times and we experience so much of it and it's overwhelming and you love those experiences. But what I see in my life so far, at 55, I'm seeing where things happen and it's a journey. And it's just little here, little there, day in, day out. When we walk this road of faith, he's changing us. He's changing us into the people that he would have us to be for our good and his glory. Now, transition again. We have the Spirit of Christ inside of us, and we're equipped to walk in peace, a peace so real and tangible that it's on display for the world to see. It's a fruit that grows on the vine of his presence, the very life of Jesus. Folks, the only way we can have peace, and it doesn't exist without Jesus, but the peace that we have, If you have any of it at all and you're operating in any of it at all, it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So what is my challenge for you? I don't have but three minutes, and I said this was going to end at 7 o'clock, so which one of these is faster than the other one? 
So let me work through this. I'm, I'm fixing to punch like a boxer just for a second, and I'm going to encourage you, and then we're going to leave. You guys ready? Somebody said, put them up. Put them up. Now that we know what peace is, that it's available to us as believers in Messiah, do we want to do the work of it or rather settle for a conditional ceasefire? A ceasefire is just suspension of fighting where we stop fighting, but the problem is still there. Anybody remember the Korean War? I wasn't there. Okay. <laughs> Let me just, for you who put a high premium on accuracy, I was not there, but 5 million Koreans died. 40,000 Americans died, and 100,000 Americans were injured in a war that never ended. And there's a line, there's a DMZ, the demilitarized zone. It's a line of demarcation between them, and the fight is still on. There is no peace because it was never finished right. They just said, we threw fight, and we're just killing too many people. Let's just stop. But it's still there, and it's embedded. Do we want peace, or we just run from the problems that we got and just kind of push it deeper and repress it and just go on and do other things? The easiest thing to do is to do that. We throw up a DMZ to where we don't have to deal with that anymore. If you're causing me problems, I'll just keep you over there, and I'll just come over here, and I'll ignore you because that's just, way, that's just the way I'm going to deal with it because why go to God when I can deal with it myself? What are the things that might hinder peace? A feeling of unworthiness. That is the biggest one. I feel like I'm not worthy. Well, hark, here's a newsflash. You're not worthy in and of yourself. But because of what he's done, he has made us worthy. And we can stand in that, beloved, but only because of him. That's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. Only because of him do we have the right to even go to him, but we can go to him. He has made us worthy. Maybe men struggle with that more than women. I don't know. Maybe women struggle with it more. I don't know. But we have to be strong in public. But then when we go home, I I understand where I fit into things. And I'm a little more average than I want to be. So maybe it's a, I'm feeling unworthy. Uh, Maybe it's a, a poor or unscriptural confession where I'm constantly saying, I don't have peace. I'm this, I'm that, and I'm saying all of these bad things. And it becomes my reality. And even if it is, you keep reinforcing it by saying all of the wrong things. When he says, I have the mind of Christ, I just say, I've got all these problems and I can't do anything right. I never have, I never will. My mama did, my daddy did, my grandma, and my kids won't, and their kids won't. And when you say those things, you reinforce them to yourself. You're doing what scripture calls meditating. You're meditating meditating on something and you're rehearsing it in your mind and that becomes your reality. Now, am I saying people with problems don't have real problems? No, I'm not saying that at all. I would never say that. But I'm saying if you do have one, we have to learn how to walk in faith and trust God and wait on Him. And if we do that in faith, He will meet that faith and establish that peace in His time, whatever that is. Pastor Ken said we're in the space of grace. This is the place where we are right now. We can trust him for something that we didn't deserve, but he made us worthy and gave it to us. So here's another big one. You guys ready? Worry. Can you imagine the early church members facing lions when they, when they were being persecuted? Jesus said, don't worry about what you are to say. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Mary's picked the right thing, and Martha gets the bad rap. But he's saying, you're worried about all of these things, but look to me. That was the whole thing about Mary. She looked to him. And Jesus identified with it the whole time. Jesus was establishing peace in Martha's life. And the next time you see Martha, she's doing everything right and all things well. She's working. Now things are right, and she's looking to Jesus for who she is. She had a moment where she got off. Jesus established peace in her life and recognized what Mary was doing as well. 
So we stay busy. We work crazy hours. We meditate. We do yoga. We sit on the porch. We, we exercise because it releases a hormone that makes us feel good. So we have this false peace. What are the things that we do to get ourselves away from the things that are not peaceful? Solomon said, vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. He concluded that life was empty without God, and it is. But with him, we can have peace if you will trust him. One more thing, and I'm late. And because you're Christian, you have to forgive me. <laughs> and I'm going to take advantage of that, and that's wrong. Um, and I respect you guys. One more thing. You ready for this? Psalms chapter 20, 23. Do not turn me off because I said Psalms chapter 23. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he has given me his peace, I won't want because he changes who I am and the things I pray for and the things that I want and the things that I need. So he fixes the outside, the, the peace, the shalom, the shalom that's on the inside. And because of him, because he's my shepherd, the Adonai Rohi, he's my shepherd, I shall not want right here or right here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He, he causes me to repent and to, to turn the other way, but not just for the sake of, of turning around. That word means to repent, but it means literally he causes me to turn in a way that refreshes my soul. So because he has restored my soul and he's refreshed my soul, now he can lead me in the paths of righteousness it's going to establish the peace that's right here. So what is the implication? This is last. When I'm going down the wrong path, he causes me to turn and to go the right way, the paths of righteousness. Guys, it's... I don't have it all figured out more than anybody else. We're all walking the life of faith. I will say this, and if you get this, then we're good. It's nothing new. Peace is nothing new. It was available in the Old Testament in the totality of our lives, outside of us and inside of us. Jesus said you could have it. He said that because you have it because of him, but when he went to heaven, he gave us another comforter, his Holy Spirit, which is on the side of us. And what he has started, he will see it through to the end. And now peace is a fruit that we can see and taste and feel. It's tangible. Because of that, we, we know that we can have his peace. Do you want his peace tonight? I, I, I know you do. Somebody shake your head. I, I want his peace in all things. Not just cause I can, so I can feel good. I want to be able to go out and to do what he would have me to do unreservedly and just do it and bring him glory. And what would make you feel better? And what would give you more peace than to know you're right smack dab in the middle of where he wants you, doing what he wants you to do I could go home in the middle of World War III and sit down on my couch with my bride and all things are good because of his peace, not because of anything we can manufacture. Father, tonight we thank you for your love, your mercy, your patience. We thank you for your peace. Father, we receive it. We will learn to walk in your peace. We will learn to trust you more and more every day. We will walk this life of faith trusting you, knowing that we have peace because of you.
Father, I stand and declare that my brothers and sisters are blessed in what they do. Keep them safe as they get home tonight and give them that slumber of the righteousness that righteous that we all want so, so much and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.